Welcome back to the True Crime Sisters podcast. If you're still with us after our break, thank you so much. Obviously, true crime, it's a pretty heavy topic, so I think it's pretty important for us to have a little bit of a break every now and then. But we're back and we're ready to delve back in. So a few bits and pieces that we wanted to touch on before we get to today's case. And the first is that you may have noticed that our intro and outro music has changed. Um, We just had a few people mention that we were using the same music as another podcast, which we didn't realise, and it wasn't intentional. So we just thought that to avoid confusion, we'd just change ours. The songs that we use are just royalty-free ones that we get off YouTube, so anyone's able to use them as long as they credit the composer. So I just thought I'd put that out there. We also wanted to touch a bit on the feedback we have received about our pronunciation. Um, It's something that we've heard a couple of times now and we can assure you that we're definitely not trying to pronounce words or places wrong. Um, So we will do our best to take that feedback into account. Um, At the end of the day, just so you guys know, we're definitely not any sort of professional public speakers or um, fantastic at English. So we're just sort of doing our best, but we definitely appreciate the feedback. And and yeah, obviously, so I can can sort of relate as well. Like if if someone sort of continues to say a word wrong, it is frustrating. It gets frustrating. Every time you hear it, it grates on you. Like we do understand and we'll take it on. But also I think the dialect is so different, even just in different parts of Australia. Yeah. So like we, We in our opinion, we just feel like we're talking like everyone around us, but it may sound wrong. But it is interesting as well because I remember when I learnt that the word frustrated had an R in it and I was, like, shocked. <laughs> so I know, like, if you hear something like that, like, I don't mind yeah. being told. But um, I don't mind being told, but I feel like there's a tactful way to tell people. So just remember that, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so another thing that we quickly wanted to touch on was something pretty exciting that happened to us over our break. So, Bill, do you want to tell us about that one? Oh, you mean the my favourite murder thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um... So when we went to see the girls at My Favourite Murder, they came to Melbourne, which was really cool. Um, so, yeah, we obviously went to the show to check them out. Um, and, yeah, it was really cool. They um, covered the Jill Marr case, which, as we know, is a terrible case that we, we had covered. And um, Georgia covered it and she had listened to our podcast. So she yeah. did actually mention us while we were there. Um, and then, obviously, we were like, we're up here. And it was, yeah, quite fun. And then very exciting. Yeah, and we got to sort of meet them after the show. So, yeah, that was quite cool. Yeah, so we just wanted to kind of say hi to anyone who's found us as a result of being at the My Favourite Murder Show or has heard us, heard about us through them. 
So yeah, it's a pretty exciting moment for us and we're happy to have anyone here who's come from there. So hi guys. And obviously if you listened and didn't like it, thanks for trying. Yeah, thanks for giving it a go. We're not (laughs) going to be everyone's cup of tea. Not at all. Um, Like I just wanted to say that we're just these two average random people. We have, we didn't have any podcasting experience before we came into this. So we've just taught ourselves everything and yeah. Well, we're definitely not everyone's cup of tea. We we yeah. know that through your feedback. So thanks, yeah, guys. Thanks, guys. Got a few got a few negs. A few one star reviews over that time period. But so that we was got fun. some positive. But you learn from it. Yeah. And I think that's the thing as well. Like it hurts at the time, but once you've kind of gotten over that initial sting, you can kind of take something from And I think we understood as well it. because we were sitting weirdly yeah. high on the chart. So people were expecting like what you might get from like a professional podcast. Yeah, we kind so, of got propelled right up the charts to a place where we We didn't have, belong. Yeah, we didn't belong there. We only were there because My Favourite Murder shouted us out. Yeah, we, we were amongst like ABC broadcasting. And we these. were aware that we shouldn't, we were waiting to yeah. go back down. So At that, the start, we really loved it. And we were like, oh my God. And then we were like, bring started, us down. Yeah, please bring us back down to where, where we, we belong. belong. This yeah. is awkward now. So we're so. happy to be back where we belong now. Yeah, back where we belong. And it's it's been good though. It was quite, quite an experience. Um, and also just wanted to say a big shout out to our newest Patreon supporters. So we've got Sean, Caitlin, Clooney, Lauren, and Natalie. So hi guys. Thank you so much for your support and your Patreon only episode will be available for you on the 5th, which is only a couple of days away. So keep your eyes peeled for that. I also just wanted to add quickly, make sure you stay tuned after the episode. We do have a promo from one of our good friends, Yours in Murder, which is an awesome podcast that's also covering true crime. And with that, all that out of the way, sorry it was such a long intro, um, I'll hand you over to Bill with this week's case. Thanks, Harry. This week we are talking about a case that gained a lot of publicity nationally back in 2010. It really opened our eyes to the devastating effects of intergenerational abuse that exists within our country. Just a warning that this episode does deal with child abuse and the death of a child, so if that is something that you find upsetting, feel free to tune out for this week Also, the family in this week's case is partially Indigenous, so just a warning there if you want to tune out. We do mention the name of the Indigenous person. Today we are talking about the short life of little Kaisha Whippet, who was taken from this world far before she should have been. So I followed this case back in 2010 when it happened, and I remember just being so shocked and devastated by the things that this little girl went through. Um, she actually reminded me a lot of my daughter with like the little curls and stuff like that. So it was a case that I really got kind of emotionally invested in and to really get a picture of the environment that little Kaisha grew up in. We really need to start at the beginning of her story with her mother, Christy Abrahams. So Christy was 18 years old when she fell pregnant for the first time to her boyfriend of three months, Chris Whippet, who was also 18. The pair was living with Chris's mother, Liz in Mount Druitt. Mount Druitt is 43 kilometres or 27 miles west of the Sydney CVD. This area featured in a documentary here in Australia called Struggle Street, which followed a number of Australians living in poverty and paints a picture of a town that is struggling economically. While the area is not considered the lowest income suburb in Sydney, it is reportedly home to a lot of Australians living in government funded housing and on welfare payments. It is largely a working class suburb and is also home to people from many different nationalities, with only 42% of its residents being born in Australia. So Christy Abraham found out she was pregnant at 18 years of age, which is obviously a very young age to fall pregnant, and this was reportedly not happy news for the young couple initially, with Chris's mother Liz reporting that her son immediately kicked a hole in the dining room wall after learning of the news. 
Despite the stress of an unplanned pregnancy, the teenage couple did decide that they were going to keep the baby, stating that they didn't believe in abortions. According to friends of the couple, Christy Abraham seemed like a nice girl. She dressed nicely, was funny, laid back and was living in her own house and commission flat, which she kept neat and tidy. What they may not have known was that Christy Abrahams had not had an easy past. She was the daughter of a violent alcoholic father. Her mother was the victim of domestic violence at the hands of her father on a regular basis. So Christy's mother did try her best to leave her father, but like many women in abusive relationships, couldn't quite find the strength to leave for good. The family didn't live a stable life. They never stayed in the same place for long, and Christy wasn't able to settle into one school and make solid friends. The family were constantly moving. Despite that, those that do remember her reportedly remember her as a good kid. Unfortunately, when Christy was around 10, her mother passed away from what was believed to be an epileptic seizure. It was suggested that her mother may have developed epilepsy as a result of the beatings that she had suffered at the hands of her husband. Christy's father didn't want to be the sole parent to Christy and her three-year-old brother after their mother passed away, and reportedly Christy didn't want to stay with him either. She is said to have blamed him for her mother's death. After being removed from her father's care, Christy was assessed by a psychologist. Reportedly, he discovered that she had an IQ of approximately 68. According to our research, only 2% of the population score lower than 69 on IQ testing, and this does generally indicate substantial cognitive impairment or intellectual disability. The psychologist that saw Christy recommended that she be placed with a non-Indigenous foster family, The reason that they recommended that was because, as we said earlier, her father was abusive, so her father was actually Indigenous, um, whereas her mother was Caucasian. So they sort of thought that putting her with an Indigenous foster family may trigger um, events just that had happened with her father. Obviously not saying that Indigenous families are likely to abuse her. They were just saying that that may trigger traumatic... And that was the case with Christy. Yeah. Yeah. Despite this, caseworkers placed her and her brother in an Indigenous group home. So at age 11, Christy was reportedly asked to recount some of the violent acts that she had witnessed her father perpetrating against her mother. And I'm going to just directly quote what she said. So she numbered it, number one, when my dad strangled my mum when we were going out of the car. That was in Queensland. When my dad had steel cap boots on and kicked her in the head. Three, when my dad had a big bottle and went to throw it in between my mum's legs. Four, when my dad went to punch her on the nose and broke her nose. Five, and he kept hurting my mum on the head. That's just so sad. Yeah. Six, when my mum went to work and my dad was minding me and when my mum came home, I had bruises all over me. Seven, and when I went to school, I fell off a big beam and when I went was home time, he went to kick my very sore leg. Eight, my dad went to kick my mum in the tummy really hard. Nine, when my dad went to hit my mum in the mouth and my mum has a fat lip or mouth. So obviously Christy had quite a traumatic childhood and witnessed many things that no child should have to witness. No child should have to feel unsafe in their own home. And while Christy would go on to do unspeakable things, we do have to acknowledge her past and the fact that she suffered from what her psychologist called a significant level of intellectual disability. So back to when Christy was a pregnant 18-year-old, Eventually, Christy moved out of her housing commission flat and moved in with the Whippet family, much to Chris's mother Liz's dismay. Reportedly, she wasn't a big fan of having another woman in the house. 
Liz had four sons. Her eldest was Chris, who was 18, as well as a 15-year-old, a 5-year-old and a 1-year-old. Chris was actually diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at about 17 years old, so he had his own challenges in that too. Liz describes Christy as being a lazy slob during the time that the women resided in the same house. Reportedly, at some stage during Christy's pregnancy, a stressed Chris ran from his bedroom to report to his mother that she was punching herself in the stomach in an attempt to abort her unborn child. She was upset because they had had an argument. Christy reportedly smoked cigarettes and consumed vodka cruises throughout her pregnancy, but had cut back on her intake in comparison to before her pregnancy. On the 6th of February 2003, Christy had an emergency caesarean at the Nepean Hospital in Western Sydney. Her first child was a boy, who she named Aidan. Before Christy could leave the hospital with her new baby, the Department of Community Services, or DOCS, were called in to check on her due to her aggressive behaviour towards the nurses. Reportedly, she would yell at them and accuse them of being rough with her surgical wounds. Christy was visited again by the docs a couple of days after she had returned home. They didn't find anything of major concern. Chris and Christy had a very tumultuous relationship during the first weeks of little Aidan's life. One night, Chris's ex-girlfriend arrived to visit and stay at Liz Whippet's house, which triggered Christy to storm out of the house with Aidan and back to her commission flat. I think it... Fair enough. Yeah, I think fair enough too. Chris eventually followed and the two put Aiden to bed. At approximately 2.30am, Chris Whippet fed his son a bottle, changed his nappy and put him back to bed. At midday the next day, Chris and Christy woke up and realised that Aiden had not woken up for his 6am feed. Christy asked Chris to go and check on the baby. Sadly, Chris discovered his son had died during the night. Chris ran to his mother Liz's house screaming that Aiden had died. Chris had found his son lying face down in his cot. When Liz arrived at the flat, Christy was screaming and crying. One of Christy's friends, who were comforting her at the scene, noted later that although Christy was screaming and howling, there were no tears in her eyes. Christy was reportedly reluctant to hand Aiden over to the hospital, and with her previous interactions with docs, there was some suspicions raised about the circumstances of Aiden's death. A post-mortem examination was carried out and there were no signs of abuse, so it was ruled that little Aiden had passed away from sudden infant death syndrome or SIDS. SIDS is a label given for a death of an infant when the pathologist is unable to determine what caused the death, but it's not believed to be suspicious. In light of what was to come later in Christie's life with her future children, it is now thought that maybe Aiden's death should have gone on further to coronial inquest, but at the time, the pathologist thought it was just a case of two parents who were themselves still kids and weren't aware of the best practices for caring for an infant. Not long after the death of their first child, Christy and Chris conceived a second child. This time, it was to be a little girl. She was born on the 22nd of April 2004 and they named her Kaisha. Around the time Kaisha was born, Christy and Chris moved into a unit in the nearby suburb of Bidwell. Neighbours reported that Christy appeared to be a good mother and Kaisha was always clean and looking well-dressed. Christy and Chris continued to have an on-and-off relationship until an incident took place when Kaisha was approximately 15 months old. According to reports, Chris and Christy were in the middle of an argument when Kaisha crawled towards the couple. 
Christy reportedly picked up Kaisha by the neck and took her back to the lounge room so she could continue arguing with Chris. Apparently at this point, Kaisha bit Christy. In retaliation, Christy Abrahams bit Kaisha back, hard and on the right shoulder. This left the 15-month-old girl screaming. Chris called the police to report the incident and when police arrived, they uncovered the bite mark and Kaisha was removed from Christy's care and placed with her father, Chris Whippet, and his mother, Liz. This behaviour of retaliating against her little daughter suggested that Christy was not equipped to parent little Kaisha. The lack of impulse control and anger management that would have to be involved to bite your own child is not behaviour that could be accepted in a grown woman. This impulsivity is seen more often in children. It is likely that the combination of Christy's low IQ and the abuse she suffered as a child were strong contributors to her inability to control herself and her anger around her daughter. And when you have those two issues combined, being a parent would be so hard. Yeah, absolutely. Because already there's people who impulsively, who have high IQs and good childhoods, Mm. who would do things to their children that they would just instantly, like not big things, but just little things and be like, whoa, okay, I took that too far. I need to leave the room. Do you know what I mean? So probably the kind of person that would be better off if they didn't Mm. have children. A woman like, yeah, Christy, unfortunately. Well, she did, unfortunately, have children. Yeah. While Kaisha was in the care of Chris and Liz, it is reported that Christy presented Chris with paperwork and asked him to sign it, which he did. When his mother, Liz, returned home, Chris told her that he had signed a document for Christy without reading it. Liz was concerned, and rightly so. As it turned out, Chris had signed a document that essentially stripped him of his parental rights. Just days later, Docs showed up at the Whippet home and took Kaisha away. She was then placed in the care of a foster family. It is reported that this was a happy and safe place for Kaisha. I'm surprised that just signing one document can cause all that. Yeah. Surely couldn't he be like, look, I don't, I didn't mean to sign that. Like, no, apparently not. That's crazy. Christy was required to attend anger management classes as well as parenting classes if she wanted to have any chance of regaining custody of her little girl. It was at this time that Christy met Robert Smith and entered into a relationship with him. Robert Smith had been described as a quiet, shy and unassuming man. Approximately 18 months after she was removed, Kaisha was returned to Christy Abrahams. A caseworker reportedly did recommend that Kaisha remain with her foster parents, but generally in Australia, the courts will try to keep a child with his or her biological mother if at all possible. Unfortunately, this wasn't the only time that we know of that Kaisha suffered abuse at the hands of her mother. When Kaisha was three years old, Christy Abrahams was heavily pregnant with Kaisha's half-sister, Brianna. Kaisha was at the Nepean Hospital with her mother when a nurse noticed a suspicious bruise on the little girl's face. She reported this to docs. When a caseworker visited with the family, a cigarette burn was also noticed on her body. When asked how she got the burn, Kaisha reportedly said, Mum hit there. Mum did that. Teachers and neighbours reportedly noticed bruising and injuries on Kaisha too. In New South Wales, where Kaisha lived, children are required to attend school from the age of six. Of the two school terms that Kaisha had been enrolled at Mount Druitt Primary School, she had reportedly only attended a handful of days. This had been reported to the Department of Education by Kaisha's teacher. When the truant officers attempted to visit the home of Christy and Kaisha, the door was always locked and the knocks went unanswered. See, at this point, I would have thought they could take her. 
It no? really takes a lot to yeah, be able okay. to take a child from their parents. Yeah, okay. And also you have to remember that the caseworkers, their hands are tied, one, but also their caseloads are so huge mm. that they can only do what they can do. Yeah. So in 2010, Kaisha was six years old and her little sister was two years old and Christy Abrahams was pregnant with her fourth child. It appears that Christy was struggling with the demands of caring for Kaisha and Brianna along with being heavily pregnant. In June, Christy made a phone call to her abusive father and she was crying and angry. She asked him if he could take Kaisha off her hands for a bit. She reportedly said, I'm sick of her. She shits and pisses the bed. She plays up at school. I will hurt her. I really will hurt her. I will kill her. Coming up on the True Crime Sisters, we learn more about little Kaisha Whippet's devastating life and death. Little Kaisha Whippet was born into a family that was already on the path to destruction. On the 1st of August 2010, Christy Abrams called the police reporting her six-year-old daughter, Kaisha, missing from her bed. Christy reported that she had tucked Kaisha into bed at approximately 9.30 the night before, after the family had watched the movie The Golden Compass together. Christy reported that Kaisha was wearing pink PJs with a purple pumpkin patch jacket when she was put to bed. Reportedly, Christy woke up at approximately 9am the following morning, the 1st of August. She found the front door ajar and Kaisha's bed empty. Family members came forward and stated that it was unlikely that Kaisha would have walked off by herself as she was not the kind of child to go anywhere by herself. However, they also reported that Kaisha did like to play with local stray kittens and this may have been a motivation for her to leave the apartment. Police arrived on the scene and began their investigation into the disappearance of little Kaisha. They found that there were no signs of forced entry to the apartment. Police publicly stated that Kaisha had not attended school at all in the week leading up to her disappearance. Kaisha's relatives came forward and stated that this was only because she had a brand new baby brother. However, we now know that it was rare for Kaisha to attend school at all. On the 2nd of August 2010, police publicly confirmed that Christy and Robert Smith were the only people who had seen Kaisha in the three weeks leading up to her disappearance. It's never a good sign. No. Three weeks is such yeah, a long time. it is. Police, SES volunteers and police dogs began the search for Kaisha in the days after she was reported missing. Two days after she was reported missing, a Mount Druitt Police Area Commander, Wayne Cox, told reporters that the police were keeping open minds about what could have happened to Kaisha. They were still considering the possibility that she may have wandered off along with more sinister possibilities such as abduction or parental involvement. Wayne Cox also stated that they were searching local stormwater drain systems that were in a recreational park that the family had frequented. Christy Abrahams and Robert Smith did not initially address the media in the day following Kaisha's disappearance. Robert Smith's brother Jason stepped forward as the family's media spokesperson, announcing that the family were distraught and were in too much grief to come forward and talk to the media. Which I think can be fair enough, but yeah. obviously at the same time, you would, you know, people want to get that message out there that this has happened, but I can sort of understand why you I guess see, everyone, yeah. Yeah, everyone copes differently. Yeah, exactly. Police were working to figure out when Kaisha was last seen by someone outside of her immediate family. 
It appeared that the last time she was seen by anyone other than Christy and Robert was on the 11th of July at a birthday party of a family member of Robert Smith. Her mother Christy and the two younger children were seen out and about without Kaisha in those three weeks. One of Christy's former neighbours came forward and reported that she saw Christy at Mount Druitt JB Hi-Fi on the 28th of July and that she had appeared really happy and normal. Reportedly, she told the neighbour that she had just had another baby and she finally had everything she wanted in life. With what we now know, this statement is extremely disturbing. It's fucked up. It really is. That's disgusting. Another neighbour came forward about the moment that she heard that Kaisha was missing. She immediately searched for Christy Abrahams, eventually finding her at Robert Smith's house. The neighbour frantically asked Christy, what happened, where's Kaisha? and was met with Christy asking her, have you got a cigarette? Christy told her neighbour that she suspected Kaisha's dad, Chris Whippet, of taking Kaisha, stating that she had seen him riding his bike in the area days before, doing a gun finger motion towards Robert Smith, who was outside hanging the washing on the line. Police were able to clear Chris quickly though, because at the time of Kaisha's disappearance, he was actually in hospital having his toe amputated due to the complications from his type 1 diabetes. Chris also had not been involved in Kaisha's life for the five years following the bite incident, so it did seem unlikely that he would be involved. Public suspicion began to surround Christy and Robert. The Australian public could not understand why the two parents who were reportedly devastated, were not out searching for Kaisha. This suspicion only grew when on the 3rd of August 2010, Christy gave a media briefing. She wore dark sunglasses and covered her face with a handkerchief. She wailed as she said, she's beautiful, anyone that's seen her, can they please go to the police? There was a lot of speculation about whether she was really crying or whether these were just crocodile tears. One thing that a lot of people bring up when they talk about the media conference is how Robert Smith talks about Kaisha in the past tense. For example, she was bubbly. She loved playing. We are going to play that media interview now so you'll be able to judge for yourselves how they talk about Kaisha. Come forward. Contact the police. What did the last three days? really help. Rob, do you want to talk us through the last time you saw Kaisha? Last time I saw her was just watching a movie together, you know. If anyone, someone must know something, please come forward. What kind of personality does she have? She's beautiful, you know, funny, always happy. Was that on Saturday that you were watching a movie? Last movie we watched was The Golden Compass. Rob, how have the past 48 hours been for you and Christy? Can't describe how it's been. You don't know until you put yourself in my shoes. Just hope that she's found as soon as possible. That's what we need. Safe how, and well. How hard is it for you the longer this goes? It gets harder by the minute. Rob, we've all seen such beautiful pictures. Tell us a little bit about her, what she's like, you know, what does the parents you really like about her? She's always happy, bubbly, you know, love playing, you know, just like any kid would. Rob, do you have any idea that anyone who you might know who may have taken Christy, does the family obviously thought about, long and hard about this, 
Does anyone have any idea? I have no idea. If I had any idea, mate, we'd be there looking. The police have expressed hope. Obviously, everyone is hopeful. And that's one thing you've got to uh, hold on to. We definitely... I'm, I'm Chris's father, actually. Yeah. Um, I actually first saw it on um, the 6 o'clock news on, on Sunday afternoon. I'm actually from Canberra, and I, um, I came straight up from Canberra on Sunday afternoon, straight up the news. And um, I've been into, you know, like, my detectives here. Um, and I'm just up here, you know, with my daughter, to, to put her, you know. Um, she's, I've asked her, you know, what, sort of what happened. And um, she's just told me that um, Kaisha, at the units where she lives, that there's always all these stray cats and um, she likes playing with them. And Christy, you know, in, this is what she told me, that she thinks that Kaisha has just gone up and got out and went to the cats. And um, I think someone's got it from there. Yeah. That's all I know. And if they do, and they're listening? And if they, if they do, if, if someone has got her, um, give her back or just contact the police. Thank you. It is, I find people so interesting who pick up on these little things. Like I would probably have just listened, well, I have just listened to his media briefing and I wouldn't have ever picked up on the fact he's using these past tense words. Yeah. So some people are so clever. I think as well, the more cases you listen to mm. that have this similar feature, yeah. you pick it up immediately because you want to listen to that first media briefing and you want to hear how they're talking about the victim. Yeah. See, I still can't pick the triple zero and 911 calls that are fake and real. I, can't I have either. no idea. Like everyone And that's saying a lot because we, so distraught. we have like, listened to a lot of true crime oh, yeah. cases. And yeah. yeah, I'm the same. I, can't I mean, there's sometimes it. there's like little things that kind of yeah. look like red flags. But it shows I don't that think... people can really, I also think obviously when you're making these calls, even if you've committed the crime, your adrenaline and stuff, you could probably pull out some some tears and some yeah. some irrational. But I think there's always going to be little tells. That's what I mean. Some and people some are people so can clever. Pick them yeah, yeah, that's where I'm getting at. Like yeah, some people are amazing. Also on the 3rd of August 2010, Detective Inspector Russell Oxford announced that the Homicide Squad was now getting involved. Kaisha's case was officially being treated as a murder investigation. The first two days of searching had turned up no leads or sightings of Kaisha. It was also on the 3rd of August that reports of Kaisha's harrowing past and abuse became public knowledge, including details of the bite wound that she suffered, although at this point the media didn't report that it was Christy that had bit Kaisha. By the 4th of August, four days after Kaisha was reported missing, the search team had expanded to 120 people, including police, SES and the Rural Fire Service. They searched through bushland approximately two kilometres from Kaisha's home and door knocked at the homes in the area, looking for any information that may assist them in Kaisha's case. By this stage, a strike force team had been formed named Strike Force Jarrison. And I do apologise if I'm saying that wrong. It's J-A-R-O-C-I-N, which was headed by Homicide Detective Inspector Russell Oxford. When Christy Abraham spoke to the media again, she stated that the rumours going around about her involvement in Kaisha's disappearance were disgusting and said that the public needed to stop judging her. On the night of the 4th, neighbours of the Abraham and Smith family gathered around the apartment block where the family had lived and lit candles for Kaisha. Stuffed toys and flowers were placed at the front fence. It was clear that the public from the Mount Druitt area were devastated that such a tragedy had occurred in the area. 
Police searched the apartment where the family lived. They seized approximately 20 bags of evidence, including the family's computer and a vacuum cleaner. The apartment was also fingerprinted. By the 6th of August 2010, local dams were being searched by police divers and accusations were flying between Christy and Kaisha's father, Chris. The New South Wales Ombudsman publicly announced that they would be investigating the role child protection agencies played in keeping Kaisha safe. On the 7th of August 2010, the air and ground searches for Kaisha were officially called off. The police announced that there wasn't a lot more they could do in their search unless new information came to light. Detective Inspector Russell Oxford made it clear, though, that everyone was still a suspect in Kaisha's disappearance. They weren't going to be giving up. While the public continued to theorise what could have happened to Kaisha and her parents continued to deny their involvement in her disappearance, police continued to work tirelessly behind the scenes. In January 2011, Detective Inspector Russell Oxford came forward and said that the police had reached the sad conclusion that Kaisha was dead. All other theories had been ruled out and they believed she had been murdered. Oxford stated, It's a hard call to have made and a pretty big decision, but we have had six months of exhaustive investigation into the little girl's disappearance and that is where we are at. The 22nd of April 2011 would have been Kaisha's seventh birthday. It was also the day when Kaisha's mother, Christy Abraham, 28 years old, and her stepfather, Robert Smith, 31 years old, were arrested and charged with the murder of the little girl. They were not offered bail and they refused to appear by video link to the Parramatta Court. A crime scene was set up in an area of bushland in Shelby, which is approximately seven kilometres from Mount Druitt. After some searching, police uncovered some skeletal remains in a shallow grave. The remains were taken to the Glebe Morgue for post-mortem examination. Kaisha's post-mortem examination was conducted by forensic pathologist Dr Matthew Ord. His report stated that the injuries to Kaisha's body included up to five blows to the jaw before she passed away. Injuries consisted with physical abuse and some healing injuries that were most likely sustained weeks or months before the little girl's death. The kind of injuries found on Kaisha's body are only found on children who suffer from severe and consistent physical abuse. This was solid confirmation that Kaisha's short life was filled with abuse that no child deserves to experience. And that's so sad because mm-hmm. you can't even say, like, she maybe had a good time at school because she didn't go to school. She like, had nothing. What was her life? That's that poor so girl. sad. And yet people do remember her as being happy when they saw her. Which just like, shows she was just this little girl trying to make the best her, of the yeah. shittiest situation she obviously a has child a can be in. beautiful spirit and she's such a beautiful little girl. Such a little cutie. Yeah. In June 2011, Christy and Robert's defence lawyers put forward a brief of evidence that alleged that Kaisha sustained her life-threatening injuries after Christy nudged her with her foot, causing the little girl to jump and hit her head on the corner of a bed. This reportedly took place somewhere between the 12th and the 14th of July, almost three weeks before Kaisha was reported missing. Reportedly, Christy and Robert did not realise that the injuries Kaisha had sustained were life-threatening and they put her under the shower to try and revive her and then put her to bed hoping that she would be fine in the morning. But as we now know, Kaisha was not fine. A call to an ambulance that night could have been the difference between life and death for this beautiful little girl. After Christy and Robert realised that Kaisha had passed away, 
and would not be waking up, they put her body into a suitcase. A taxi driver came forward and alleged that he was the one that drove Christy and Robert along with the suitcase to bushland at Shelby on the 18th of July 2010. He was unaware that the suitcase contained the body of a little girl and reportedly the couple was wearing disguises. On the 16th of December 2011, Robert Smith pled guilty to manslaughter and accessory after the fact over the death of little Kaisha, who at this stage had her name changed to Whippet instead of Abraham's. The murder charge against him was dropped. In February 2013, it came out in the media that Robert Smith had burnt little Kaisha's body after she died and buried her in a shallow grave. Along with Christy, he had not sought medical help for the little girl when he had the chance and had allowed her to suffer. He watched her as her situation became more and more dire and did nothing to help her, despite stating that he saw her as his own daughter. According to Robert Smith, that night he heard a loud bang come from Kaisha's bedroom and after going to check it out, he saw the little girl unconscious. At around this time, it was also revealed that the pair was caught as a result of an undercover police operation in which the couple led an undercover police officer to Kaisha's grave, where other detectives were waiting for them. Robert Smith was sentenced to 16 years in prison with a non-parole period of 12 years. It just doesn't feel like long enough. It absolutely doesn't. We are so lenient in Australia. It is sick. I know, that just does not feel like long enough for taking a six-year-old girl's life. And then when you hear the sentences that people get in America, I feel like those are much more adequate sentences for people who do these things. I feel like that too. And sometimes not, but more often than not, they're longer over there than they are over here. And I'm not a supporter of the death penalty or anything, but I think life in prison should be life in prison. Like, why do we even call it life in prison if it's like not even? I might be a little bit a supporter of the death penalty. Do you reckon? I don't know. I haven't thought about it hard enough, but when I think about this case and things like this I'm like oh god just kill him yeah. but I'm sure there's a lot more to it and obviously there's the fact that we can't always know someone's 100% guilty yeah so that's and, my biggest problem with it but I just I don't know sometimes I feel like I am in support of it like some of the crimes that you hear about I'm just like yeah that person should die yeah which I don't know if I'm don't quote me on this but that's just how I feel right now yeah in May 2013, Christy Abrahams and her team attempted to have her charge changed from murder to manslaughter. However, the Crown rejected this and maintained their murder charge. Good. In addition, the Crown rejected her application to be tried by a judge alone. Her case would be heard by a jury of her peers. In June 2013, the Supreme Court heard the sordid and devastating details of Kaisha's life and death including evidence of up to five fresh blows to the little girl's jaw in the lead-up to her death. The court heard that the severity of the injury was comparable to a high-impact sports injury, which for a six-year-old is just so terrible. What the hell? It's fucked. The public were furious upon hearing the details of the trial and what Kaisha had been through, and rightly so. One member of the public yelled out to Christy as she was led through the public gallery I didn't even know her and I loved her more than you did. And this echoed the feelings of many Australians mm. at the time and still to this day because yeah, I absolutely, feel like that. absolutely, absolutely. On the 19th of July 2013, Christy Abrahams was sentenced to 22 and a half years in prison with a non-parole period of 16 years. Christy had eventually pled guilty to the murder, which no doubt had some impact on lessening her sentence, but that is a ridiculously lenient sentence. I'm sorry, I don't get why when people plead guilty, they get a lower sentence. I don't quite get it. I think it's because they're admitting guilt and also they're not putting people through the full trial. 
So when you plead guilty, they don't have to like try and bring out all the evidence and prove you guilty. I mean, I know it, it is obviously more beneficial that they are pleading guilty, but I still don't... I think I, they almost use it as like a bargaining chip. Like, oh, if you plead guilty, we'll lessen your sentence. Okay. But yeah. I mean, 22 years for killing a child. Your yeah. own flesh and blood. That is just disgusting And she's to only... Me. Like, she was 30 when she went in, so that's 50. She's coming out at 52. She's still like... Oh, that's such a life. Oh, she still God. comes out and gets a life. Well, hopefully she's at least through menopause by then. Why? What? I don't want her having any more children. Oh, right. The judge stated that Christy did show some remorse and was unlikely to reoffend. Really? Yeah. I don't believe that. I mean, obviously, I don't, I'm not in the case. I don't know. But I it's feel like her believe, intellectual disability plus her life circumstances plus what she's done, as if. Yeah. That's, to, well, I don't know. To me, that seems weird. He was sympathetic to her intellectual disabilities and the abuse she had suffered as a child. Obviously, you can be sympathetic to that. But it doesn't mean we're on the streets. Yeah, that doesn't... We're all sympathetic to that, but that doesn't... Ex- I'm like, what if she's a grandmother? Because she has other children. What if yeah. her children have children and she's, like, asked to babysit the children? And then they annoy she her. She should not have access to any children ever. No, she shouldn't be out of prison ever. No. Justice Ian Harrison described her as an inevitable product of entrenched intergenerational failures, which is true. Which is true. I still don't... It doesn't make it okay. No, it's I not still don't agree with any of this. This is just such a devastating case. Not only was a child murdered and stripped of the opportunity to grow up and break the cycle, but her short life was full of pain and abuse. Despite this, many describe the beautiful little girl with her bouncy curls and cheeky smile as a happy-go-lucky child. It seems that she made the best of her life regardless of the unfair hand she was dealt. This is an eye-opening and heartbreaking case. It's hard to believe that this can happen in today's world, but it does. We need to protect these children. Kaisha was failed not only by her mother and stepfather and the system, but also by everyone who turned a blind eye to her abuse or kept quiet to avoid coming across as a snitch. Sadly, her biological father, Chris Whippet, has since passed away due to complications from his diabetes. He admitted that he wasn't the best father to Kaisha, which is absolutely true, but after she disappeared, he became, he became quite outspoken about her, keeping her name in the media. So obviously, yeah, just a devastating... So sad. Horrible case. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's good to be back after our break. We hope you've learned something from this episode. We know it's a difficult one to listen to. So I guess all we can really learn is just let's look out for look out the little for, ones yeah. in If the you world. see something suspicious, mm. report it. Yeah. Don't hesitate. Yeah. Just even anonymously. I mean, like, the worst thing that can happen is it's checked out and nothing. it's safe and that's fantastic. And can you do it anonymously? Is that yeah. a thing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely you can. Just, yeah, just because you just wouldn't want to know yeah. that you knew someone who was going through this and you didn't realise or you did have a little suspicion yeah. and you never said anything. And I know, like, a lot of people do report and nothing does come And even in this case, like, she was actually known. Yeah, she was definitely known. So, I mean, what can you do? Oh, it's very hard, but I guess just, yeah, let's keep an eye out for the little ones. Make sure you join us next week, and until then, please stay safe. Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're the hosts of a new true crime podcast called Yours and Murder. We put out a new episode every week. We switch between covering true crime cases together and analyzing true crimes in our minisodes. We take turns on the minisodes, focusing on our unique perspectives. I have a degree in forensic science. And I have one in journalism. 
So we're able to go beyond Wikipedia and dive into the facts of the case. We look at the forensic evidence and the spin put on cases by the media. Check us out on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, and like us on Facebook for an update on Today in True Crime History. As always, we are Yours in Murder.